Good morning, everyone. So in thinking about our series, we're in the book of Romans, and today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. So if you'd like to turn to Romans chapter 8, we're actually going to be in this um, chapter for about five weeks. So we should get some good word over the next few weeks, and it's going to be exciting to see what God does. So in looking at the beginning of this passage, uh, a time in my life came to my memory. So when I was in high school, I played high school football. I don't know if any of you guys played sports growing up, but I loved sports. It was one of my favorite things to do. And my sophomore year, I played a position called defensive back. Does anybody know anything about football? Raise your hand if you do. Otherwise, I might have to describe a little more. But what a defensive back's job is, basically is I was to let no one get behind me to score. I was supposed to keep everything in front of me. In fact, the defensive back was the last line of defense for someone to score. And during my sophomore year, we had this game where it came down to the final play, and we were winning. So everything was good. And so we only had to stop them one more time, the offense one more time, and then we would win. And so I was out there playing defensive back, and the ball was hiked, and I kind of just stood there, and I knew for some reason I thought maybe they would run the ball, and I would have to come up and tackle the guy. And it was kind of like a trick play they were doing, and I thought the running back had the ball. At the same time, the wide receiver ran past me down the field, and I was supposed to be the last line of defense, and I was like, oh, no, and so I started chasing after him, and you know what? That ball was released by the quarterback. It went through the air very slowly. I saw it, and that wide receiver dropped the ball, okay? So guess what? We won. Our team won. Everybody, yay, right? Yay, team. Well, not me. I was over there just down. You know, I was all in my feelings. I was just mad. I was frustrated because what? I messed up. That guy, if he would have caught the ball, we would have lost and it would have been my fault. And I realized in the moment, man, I really messed up. And so everybody else was having fun, celebrating the victory. And I was down in the dumps. In fact, I held my head low, walked on the bus to get back to the school. And even one of my coaches came up to me and kind of was like, you know what, you kind of messed up on that play. And, you know, I was just feeling terrible. You know, that's kind of the life of a Christian sometimes, isn't it? When we should be living in victory because of what Jesus has done for us, instead we live not in victory. We live in our feelings. We live defeated lives. But God doesn't want us to live that way, right? Amen? He wants us to live in victory. And so let's pray today that God's spirit will lead us and guide us and show us more about how he's going to lead us, all right? So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Romans 8. Thank you for this passage. And Lord, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that it would come alive to us, that it wouldn't just be words on a page or words on a screen, but God, it'd be your word for us today, that you would say something to us to encourage us, to change us, to make us more like you. And, Lord, I do beg that your Holy Spirit would come and do something supernatural in this place so that we would give you the glory for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, we pray, amen. All right, so everybody, let's turn to Romans 8 in your Bibles. If you have your pew Bibles, you can grab those and go to Romans 8, 1609. Thank you, Jason. And so 1609 in the pew Bibles, 
And I'm just going to begin here, Romans 8, because I want Jason to get to his vacation. So hopefully I'll go fast here. But Romans 8, 1 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who who are in Christ Jesus. You know, we could stop right there today and be like, amen, praise the Lord. The Bible says here that there's now no condemnation. If we're in Jesus Christ, if we're in Christ, we don't have to feel the way I was feeling after that game. We don't have to be crushed or pushed down. We can believe that if God's with us, who can stand against us? You know, sometimes we, we, I think we dwell a little too much on sin. Although sin, we all sin, right? Raise your hands if, if you're perfect. No, if you're perfect. Oh, you are? Okay. So, yeah, we're all sinners. But there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. See, conviction is what the Holy Spirit brings when God does want us to change some of our ways. He points some things out and says, look, you're not going the right way here. I want you to do something different. I want you to change what you're doing. That's called conviction. And when conviction comes by the Holy Spirit, it drives us closer to Jesus. But condemnation pushes us away from God. It makes us feel bad. It makes us feel guilty and down. That's not where God wants us to be. He wants us to continually seek Jesus and not be pushed away from him. So this verse is so exciting because it says there's no more condemnation. We don't have to be condemned. And it's all because of this. It's what Jesus did. In fact, the verse says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So today if you're sitting here in the church and you love Jesus and you've given your life to Jesus, you're all good. Amen? We can go home, right? No. <laughs> Let's keep going. So there's a couple more verses down. We're going to go to about verse 11. But verse 2 says this, because though Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and to be condemned at sin in the flesh in order that the righteous law, requirement of the law, might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You know, as we read through those first few verses there, you see a word that comes about a bunch of times. It's the word, the law. And we've been talking about that over the last few weeks, what the law does. Well, the law is very important. You know, Moses brought the Ten Commandments, and then in those, there was more laws, right, that the people could follow. But the problem was the law wasn't the law. We learned about it before. The law was good. The problem is we not all the time are good, right? We don't follow the law fully. So God had to do something even more drastic to win us back to him. He sent his son Jesus to be the place of punishment for our sin, right? He died on the cross for our sin. Now we don't have to follow the letter of the law. Now we have God's spirit, right? And when we are in Christ Jesus, God's spirit comes to live inside of us. See, verse 2 says there's two different laws. There's the law of the spirit who gives life, and there's the law free from the law of sin, which goes to death. So let me ask you a question. Would you rather follow what brings life or follow what brings death? 
I don't know about you, but I'd rather follow the spirit of God that brings life. And the interesting thing about the law, even though it was great, it didn't have the power that the spirit has. In fact, the law could not defeat sin. Only Jesus could truly defeat sin. See, that's why we still struggle, right? We still struggle with this because we have to have laws, right? Just think about our country without any laws. Well, it's beginning to feel like that sometimes, right? Like, like our laws are going away and people are just doing whatever they want to do. Isn't it kind of crazy sometimes? But if we follow the laws and we listen to what is good, then usually life is good, right? That's kind of the, the roundabout way life works. If you do what is right and you follow what is right, your life usually becomes good, right? But we're not born that way, right? We're born into sin, and we were bent to do wrong. And I've been learning a lot about this through my three-year-old son. Anybody have some young children <laughs> that you're trying to train? The Bible says to train up our children in the way of the Lord and that they'll follow that way. And in order to do that, we have to put rules and things around them. And sometimes our kids think, oh, or we might think, why do we have to follow all these rules? Well, real rules are put in place to, because of love. God loved us because he didn't want us to just do our own thing and, and destroy ourselves. He wanted to give us a better life. And the same thing for us, we want a better life for our kids. Amen? So we want to show them that way to go. So I've been trying, we've been trying to show Chris that way to go, my three-year-old son. And it's a little difficult with a three-year-old, right? So sometimes they don't understand right from wrong. Although I think they're a little smarter than we than we are on to, right? So Chris recently, we've been working on him with time out because there has to be some kind of consequence. There has to be a consequence when we do something wrong or how are we ever going to learn, right? In fact, life is like that. We fall down, we mess up, but we, do we stay down? No, the Holy Spirit lifts us up. And in those processes, that's where we learn more about God and learn more about ourselves, when we fall down and get picked up. But what if we fall down and stay down? Then that's not good, right? So recently we've been trying to teach Chris about right from wrong. And so we have been using timeout or the corner. Well, it's interesting because the moment I just say the word corner, this is what Chris does. Right? He doesn't want to go to the corner. Because the corner means separation, it means time out, it means him not getting to do what he wants to do, right? He wants to be good, and I think he's starting to learn that when he's in the corner, mom and dad aren't too happy, right? When he's out there in the corner, we're not happy. And so that's why he cries, kind of like how I was feeling when I was playing football, right? I was feeling a little bit condemned. You know, that's why Jesus wants us to have... Uh, this relationship with him. It's important that we know it's all about the relationship. And yes, yeah, sometimes we do things that make him sad. I would just say that. Or do things that he doesn't like so much, but he still loves us. Even though Chris is in the corner, I still love him. So it's important to know this verse. I think the most important part is, yes, we're not condemned, but the most important part says, those who are in Christ Jesus aren't condemned. We have that relationship with him. You know, to spell this out a little 
better. It says this. It says, Christ, I read this this week. It says, Christ is in believers by his spirit. You know, sometimes we wonder, how can Jesus be inside of us? Well, it's God's spirit that comes to live inside of us when we follow Jesus. And believers are in Christ by faith. It takes us to live by faith to live for Jesus. Amen. So let's learn a little bit more about this. How do we live by faith? Turn to verse 5 of chapter 8. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. You know, I love it during our services. We'll do it later on when we greet each other. What do we give each other? We give each other peace. We say, peace be with you. Basically, what we're saying is, God be with you, right? And it's cool that we do that, that we recognize that God, his spirit, brings peace. When we follow God, his spirit brings us peace. Verse 7, it says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So it's interesting that there's this battle that's going on all the time. And I'll just call it the battle of the mind since it talks about the mind, right? On one side, the mind is being tempted to do wrong or do things according away from God's word or away from God's plan. And then there's other times when God's spirit is leading us to do what God wants us to do, right? And there's this battle that's going on in our mind all the time. Isn't it not fun sometimes? <laughs> You know, that battle. And sometimes we just get pulled down because our mind is, is focused on things of the flesh. Just, just to be honest, more than things of God. And we could talk about that. I don't have enough time. But just think about how many things today distract us from God. And, and we could just pull out of our pocket our phone, right? <laughs> that thing distracts us from God so much. But I'm going to tell you a quick story about when people were distracted from God and tried to do things in their strength, in their flesh, and not in what God wanted them to do. See, there's a story in the Bible in the Old Testament when the people of God were going to the promised land. You guys remember this story? So Moses took the people out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. Everybody with me on that? They're about to enter the promised land. And so God says, go in. I'm giving it to you. He tells them, I'm giving you this land. And so they got 12 guys together to go spy out the land and check it out to see what it was like. And so they sent these 12 in and they went in and they found these big clusters of grapes. And they were so big that they had to put these grapes on a pole to carry them. I don't know about you, but how many of you have been to the grocery store lately and found grapes that big? You know, that you literally have to grab two people to put them in your cart. No, it's not like that. This land was bountiful with God's blessing. And he told them, I'm giving you this land. The only problem that also in the land was big, huge giants. There was giants that were occupying the land. So they realized if they were going to go in the land, they were going to have to drive out the giants. And they were like, there's no way. The land is awesome. But there's these huge giants. And they even said, we are like grasshoppers compared to the, the giants. They realized, man, compared to the giants, we can't do it. There's no way. But funny, there was two people in that group of 12 
named Joshua and Caleb. And here's these ten guys, the majority, they're spreading this bad report. There's no way we can enter the land. But Joshua and Caleb said, we can surely do it because God is with us. And if God is with us, we're gonna, it's easy for us to take out these giants, right? Now that's how God wants us to live in the spirit. He wants us to be like Joshua and Caleb. If God's with me, I can do anything. I can overcome any obstacle, any problem. And I'm not going to tell you that if you follow the Spirit, your life just is going to be great. But if you follow the Spirit, the great God is always going to be with you. Amen? Your life might always not be great, but God is always going to be with you through those difficult times. If you read on in this passage, it says that Caleb, it's interesting that there's a lot of boys You'll find a lot of Christians will name their kids Caleb. Why? Because it's an awesome guy in the Bible. The Bible says that he had a different spirit and followed God fully. Where is that spirit coming from, do you think? It came from God. God gave him the spirit, his spirit to follow him fully. So we need God's spirit to do what God wants us to do. We can't do it on our own. We're going to continue to have this battle unless we trust who? God in his spirit. So I want to tell you a little bit about him today. In fact, I would encourage you not to see God's spirit as a ghost, <laughs> you know, something that's floating around. But more see God's spirit as a person. See, Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send you a helper that's going to come to help you. And they didn't really understand what that was. But later, God would send his Holy Spirit on the early believers and if you see him more as like a, not an entity, but as a person, you can realize, hey, I need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to learn about that a little more over the next few weeks. But let's dive into verse 8 and find out more about what this spirit does for us, what his presence does in our lives. It says, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So it says it right there. If we're just in our own self, we can't please God. But verse 9 says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Man, that's a powerful passage. And I would encourage you to read back over this when you go home this week. But verse 9 says, you need the spirit of Christ to belong to Jesus. Verse 10 says this, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. So right here, these couple passages show us that when we die, we don't really die. <laughs> We have eternal life because it says the same spirit that's in you was the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The sp same spirit that brought him to heaven and brought him back to life now lives inside of you, right? Man, I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. That means that he's with me all the time. So as I'm standing here, I'm just going to ask you, when you die today, where are you going? Do you know for sure? Where are you going? Well, it's, it says already in this passage, if we're in Jesus, we're not condemned. And it also says if, we have, if we're in Jesus, we'll have his spirit, which means we'll go to heaven, right, with him. 
So there's two big encouragements here. One, that we're not condemned here on earth, but we're also going to live with Jesus forever and ever in eternity. Amen. Can I get an amen for that? But it all happens when we're in Jesus. So some of you might wonder, well, how do I know I'm in Jesus? How do I know I have this security? How do I know that God is with me? Well, I'm going to just say four little checks, maybe four little tests that you can put on yourself over the next few weeks to really see, are you in Jesus? Are you in God okay? Verse one, or one of those checks is this, has the spirit led you to Jesus? Has God's spirit at some point led you to a relationship with Jesus? Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think about that. Has, has is God led me to Jesus? Is God leading me to Jesus? Well, the cool thing is the Holy Spirit led you here today. Amen. So he's leading you close to Jesus. But I think it's your decision to say yes to Jesus. Not just, it doesn't make, if we're sitting here, it doesn't mean that we are in Jesus. We have to actually make that decision to be in Jesus. Let me break that down a little bit for you. If you're in church, does that make you closer to God? It can. But you could just be sitting here and be far away from God. If you're in the pastor, what if we just follow everything our priest tells us to do, but we don't follow what Jesus tells us to do? Is that going to be good? Now, our priest helps us follow Jesus, right? But he's not the final word. Jesus is. Amen? Amen? Do you think Jason can let us down sometimes? Yeah, any person can let us down, right? So we can't put our hope in our, our priest. What about in people? Yes, people can help us, but if we're only in people, are we going to get close, closer to God? No, we have to have Jesus. Amen? Am I confusing you? <laughs> or you can spend all day reading the Bible. You could be in the Bible, which the Bible can help you. But the only thing that can truly save you is who? Jesus. And your relationship with Jesus. Now, all these things help us get closer to Jesus, but it's not what saves us from condemnation. Or let me just tell you, save us from hell and a, and, and a relationship without God. We need Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is who leads us to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm doing all the work. I'm going to encourage you over the next few weeks to think, no, God is doing the work to bring you closer to him. And it's all done through his spirit. Number two on the checklist, has the spirit of God led you to honor Jesus? Do you honor Jesus with your life? Do you try to do it every single day? Or do you do things that dishonor Jesus? Do you live a life that honors Jesus or dishonors Jesus? I'm not going to really get in. We don't have enough time to really talk about what that looks like. But just think about it. Number three, has the Spirit of God led you to be like Jesus? Are you like Jesus? Now, he's perfect, right? So none of us are perfect. But we should try to live sinless, right? We all sin, but let's try to sin less because Jesus was perfect and holy. So the more we follow the Spirit, he makes us holy, right? And the final thing is the Spirit of God in your heart. Do you feel his presence with you? Now, that's kind of hard to see because your heart's right here, and you think, how does it get inside my 
beating heart. It's not really that. He's getting inside your life. He's changing your desires. Has the Spirit of God, has God changed your desires and said, in the last few years, I'm different? Maybe not just the last few years. What about the last few weeks? Has God changed you? Are you different? Are you more like Jesus? Are you more like God? So I wish I had a time to share about more about each of these four things, but I'm going to share about one of them. Has the Spirit of God led you to honor Jesus? And I'm going to take just a little time to talk about this. What it looks like to honor Jesus is beginning to serve him, beginning to do things for him. And I'm going to tell you, I'm so encouraged, Trinity, that many of you are serving Jesus. Amen? Many of you are doing something. In fact, the last few weeks, I'm encouraged that not only are you serving Jesus here, but you're helping others serve Jesus There's some of you that are starting to schedule people to serve Jesus. So we have people over here doing the PowerPoint. We have people on sound. We have people leading worship. We have people greeting people. We have all these people doing stuff. Isn't it awesome how God is using us to bless other people? It's really cool. I think that's awesome. And God, I just want to encourage you, keep going. Keep serving. Keep finding ways that God can use you because that is where you can truly honor God with your life. And I'm going to tell you a quick story about a guy who blessed me because I think God really shows up by his spirit in other people. That's how we can recognize God's spirit is when God's spirit is working in other people's lives and that blesses us. See, when I was just out of college, I worked in a missionary role in Los Angeles. I, I, I helped run a Christian school, and I also helped run a youth church. It was so cool. It was awesome. And, and while I was out there, I lived, I was single at the time, and I lived in a home with five other guys that were from all over the world, and they all loved Jesus, and they all believed God called them there to change the world. And so it was such an encouraging time in my life. And one day, I was driving around the neighborhood with my friend Jason who lived with us, and Jason was from South Central. He's an African-American guy, and he was just a blessing to me. And while we were driving around, we weren't talking about the Lakers because they were good back then and all this stuff. We were, and he loved the Lakers. We were talking about what God was doing in our lives, and we were dreaming of what God can do in Los Angeles. And as we were driving around, we got so excited about God's spirit and what he was doing. So what, would, what did we do? We drove home, and we got to our house, and it was kind of late night, so we walked in the house, and we said, there's a fire in the house. And all our roommates were like, what is in the world? In fact, one of our roommates was sleeping, so he woke up, and he was like, what, fire, fire? And we're like, no, not a real fire. The Holy Spirit is moving in our lives and in this house. And so we got together to encourage each other, and we started to pray about what God wanted us to do. And it was one of the most amazing moments in my life when God's spirit was just burning in my heart and I wanted the world to know about what Jesus was doing. Well, a little later on, some of those dreams we were talking about became a reality. In fact, my, my, my friend Jason had this crazy idea that he was going to take a group of teenagers from L.A. and travel all the way across the country and, and drive them all, all the way across the country. And he was doing this because, see, he grew up in L.A., And many times he never got to leave his neighborhood. And he wanted to give them an experience to see universities. And he wanted to take them from L.A. to Washington, D.C. Well, how many of you know that's an expensive trip? (laughs) And it's not just for 
one or two people. It was going to be for a big group of teenagers. And so he had to raise a bunch of money to see this happen. Well, it was only a few weeks away from the trip, and everybody was so excited. And Jason came home one day, and he was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. We're thousands of dollars away from getting to go on this trip, and I don't know where it's going to come from. And so he locked himself in his room, and he just started to pray. Well, how many of you know that trip happened? And those kids went from L.A. to a bunch of colleges all over the country and then eventually to Washington, D.C. And to this very day, I know those kids were radically changed because of that trip. You know, it was awesome for them. And because of that trip, too, and what God did, many of us thought, man, this guy Jason is going to change the world. Literally, he's, he's just being used by God. Sometimes you see that, right, where God singles out somebody and just puts his spirit on them and starts to use them in a powerful way. Well, what was interesting is about a year later, I found out about Jason that he moved to Kansas, because I had moved too, that he had moved to Kansas, and he got married to a girl in Wichita. And I was like, what is this guy doing going to Wichita? Well, he fell in love with somebody, and he moved to Wichita. And I was like, okay. And so I kept on watching his life. What's God going to do? Miracle things is God going to do to Jason's life in Wichita? Well, the crazy thing happened is he got married to this girl. They had five kids, you know. Well, how many of you know if you have five kids, you, you can't do a bunch of stuff because you got kids now, right? So it was cool because Jason called me this week, and I haven't talked to him in, in a few years. And I was like, how's your family doing? And I really wanted to know, hey, Jason, what's God doing with you? Because... It looked like you were going to change the world. Well, he began to tell me about his family and his first son, how he got a scholarship to the University of North Carolina and that he's like a genius, you know. And then he talked about his second son that he went to Kansas State on a full-ride football scholarship. And I'm like, wow. And he's like, yeah, all my kids are thriving. Now, I don't know about you how God does things, but maybe instead of Jason changing the world with thousands of kids, maybe he was just changing the world with his five kids, right? So I want to encourage you that God's spirit sometimes moves in big and powerful ways, but God's spirit also can move in just the normal day-to-day things, right? And eventually you could bless somebody else. So maybe Jason's not going to do awesome things, but maybe his five kids are going to do awesome things because the word out of his mouth was, they're all thriving. And so church, Trinity Church, what's one of our things we're praying about? That we are a thriving church, amen? And how are we going to be a thriving church? When we trust and lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. God, there's so much more in this word that we could learn from and we could draw closer to you from. And so, Lord, I pray in the coming weeks that we will read it. And as we read it, that you will speak to us. But, Lord Jesus, today, I thank you for the biggest truth, that we don't have to feel condemned today. And I pray for someone today, if there's someone here that feels beaten down, maybe discouraged, maybe they have um, been in a place, Lord, where they're down because of a circumstance or something they've done. I pray today, God, that your spirit would begin to draw them close and that you would show them how much you love them and, and the good plans that you have for them. And I pray, Lord, for our church, God, that you continue to pour out your spirit in this place so that we can live for you and that we can honor you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.